Welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Over the next hour, you will hear raw, honest, and inspiring conversation between Lindsay and her guests discussing how to thrive, live joyfully, and abundantly in spite of life's challenges. Now, here is your host, Lindsay McCowan. Hello and welcome to Women Thriving Unapologetically. I am your host, Lindsay McCowan, and we have yet another incredible show today. I am so blessed to have such incredible women coming on to the show. And every week, I am just astounded by their integrity, their beauty, their strength, their stories. And so I just feel really filled up right now. And really honored to be bringing this conversation to the table today, which is around how our weight and our size are not the problems. And so women, I'm going to say that again, your weight and your size are not the problem. And so what we're going to be doing today is we're going to dive into what the real underlying issue is that's leading us to feel this suffering in our bodies and perhaps even anesthetizing ourselves with food and other addictions. But before we dive into this conversation and invite our guests onto the show, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to stop and pause and breathe and get centered and become present to this unique moment in time. So if you are comfortable, wherever you are, just take a moment to stop whatever you're doing. Just allow your to-do lists and all the things just to be set aside for a brief moment so that you can connect to your breath. In this moment, if you're comfortable, you can close the eyes. If not, they can be softly downcast, but just bring your awareness to the inflow and the outflow of breath through your nostrils. The sacred stream of breath that has the ability to bring you into this moment to allow you to feel how you've landed in your body and in the space that the body occupies. And perhaps even placing one hand on your belly and one hand on your heart, connecting to this body of yours that is unique, it is powerful, it is with you from the time that you were born until the time that you die. And so what if this body is not the problem? What if this body is something that actually is beautiful? That can possibly be your best friend because it is with you from the time that you were born until the time that you die. So take two more deep breaths in and out through the nose. And just feel yourself soften around this this question, what if it's not the problem? And to allow yourself to be open and receptive to the conversation that we are having today. So whenever you're ready, we'll make our way back. Mm. And I always feel, I can feel how like my judgment for my body is coming online as my body changes a lot at the age of 51. So I really love to have this conversation today with Kirsten Johansson. And so now Kirsten also has a radio show on Voice America. She's on the Variety Channel, and she is a resilient survivor of many life's challenges. And she talks often about them on her show, which is GTO, Freedom for Humans. And she has a direct experience with addiction, disordered eating, 
body dysmorphia, metastatic cancer, radiation disease, inflammatory bowel disease, infertility, trauma, anxiety, depression, narcissistic, narcissistic, that's a hard word to say today, narcissistic relationships, divorce, perfectionism, career changes and achievement, and major life uh, changes really to be able to achieve her, her dream. So, I mean, I think a lot of women can relate to like, at least one, if not many of these things. And Kirsten, you know, has this formal education that includes an MBA, BA in so- sociology and psychology and just 12 years as a chemical dependency and relapse prevention specialist. But it's like she has the direct experience in her own life, as well as the background to really bring in this level of leadership and supervision and coaching and mentoring that helps women and everyone really to step into um, owning their power and being and finding the freedom um, that can come in this human form. So welcome, welcome, Kirsten. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Lindsay. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. I was like, I was telling Kirsten right before the show that oh, I'm so happy that you're here because this week has been incredibly stressful and I knew this was going to be such an easy conversation, even though the topics that we're having are complex and can feel, you know, have a weight to them. Like our conversations always feel so empowering and light and easeful. They just flow. So I'm so delighted you're here. (laughs) Well, I'm delighted to be here. And I was having similar thoughts first, you know, because I do host a show coming on as a guest does have a lightness about it. Um, that, you know, hosting, you know, we have a lot of things to think about. And also we're talking about something today that I have a tremendous amount of, of experience with and that I really love talking about um, because having suffered as much as I have with this particular issue and coming out the other side um, in a way that I actually never thought was possible has made me really want to talk about it um, as much as I can, because I know that it is a source of suffering for so many people um, in this life. Yeah. I mean, our culture is so obsessed with body image, our weight, our size, everything about our bodies. And especially if that weight and size is on a woman. And, you know, I believe all women can relate to stepping on a scale and seeing a number that they don't feel comfortable with or trying to put on a pair of pants that was once their favorite and then it no longer fits perfectly or they're looking in the mirror and constantly doing these body checks. And, you know, and we believe at some level that if we can lose the weight or we can fit into a particular size or look a particular way, then, you know, it's going to be the solution to a lot of our discomfort that we're having. I mean, I'm even feeling that now. I mean, I've put on weight due to perimenopause and I'm like, oh my God, I don't feel comfortable in my body anymore. But I'd love to hear what your opinion is about, okay, this is not what the problem is. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes, it is not what the problem is. Um, and I do want to just note something that's in the kind of in the zeitgeist right now. I was uh, reading, some, I was just reading an article that um, it talked about New York Fashion Week, actually. Um, and so I just kind of want to just speak briefly about this um, idea of our bodies being a trend of some kind and you know, this type of body being in and this type of body being out. And the article was from a model who is a curve model. And she was noting that um, the previous two years, she had gotten 
a significant amount of work in the runway shows because there were many designers who were being more inclusive and including a range of bodies and that this year it it had dropped significantly and they gave some they gave some percentages so there was objectively a change in the number of um, diverse bodies that were shown and it coincides with this message that we're getting now that thin is back in um this is extremely harmful because when we believe these messages that are media based that are designed to make us feel less than to take our power away from us to take our money away from us while we throw money at what is not a problem our body is not a problem but we receive these messages that if we don't conform to whatever the current standard is or whatever we've internalized um depending on how we grew up and who our sort of feminine icons were and and things like that mine was Farrah Fawcett so that will give you an idea of the body type that I idealized my whole life um it it just poisons us it it poisons us and it you know this we're, we're sort of transitioning apparently so they say again this is all made up this is all made up bs that we do not have to believe and it's important that we don't believe it because when we believe it and when we believe it with our money and when we believe it by giving away our power we kind of we we support it um because it i mean it's a huge it's a huge industry um so you know i just wanted to i just kind of wanted to mention that it's uh it's upsetting because oh i know what i was going to say cuz prior it was tiny waist big boobs big butt this this other completely unattainable without surgical and all kinds of cosmetic intervention or just the exact right of gen right genetics both of these standards that are being pitched to us as the the value standard for how women should look are unattainable um and their fantasies and they don't exist and i really appreciate you bringing that in that it's you know it's a trend it's not mm -hmm. reality it's not reality at all and it's completely unattainable i mean even that you know the big boobs the tiny waist and the big butt you know if we can think of the kardashians for example mm -hmm. and but yep. that the body types that they have you know, one partly due to genetics, but a lot is due to cosmetic surgery. And people forget that people forget mm -hmm. that this is not attainable unless you are one starving yourself or have the money for cosmetic surgery or just really suffering greatly to try to attain that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and you so know, I, I suffered from 10 to 50, uh, 40 years. I spent uh, in some form of either disordered eating and dysmorphia or recovery from disordered eating with raging body dysmorphia, which is kind of an interesting uh, concept. And so um, I'm quite familiar with, and, and I've been of many different weights. And I can, I'm here to say that sometimes at my, at my smallest, was when the self-hate was the loudest. So this idea that if you can make your body 
look a certain way or be the size that you think is going to bring you this sense of peace that you can just relax because now you've made it, you've, you know, you've reached the right size or the right number on the scale or whatever. I reached all those places and all I found there was more to do, more to work on, more to do, more to address. Well, what about this that's wiggly or what about this that's sagging or, well, you know, the right number on the scale isn't, isn't enough. What about the number, the silly little label in my clothing that if it didn't say the right thing, I cut it out. I cut it out. And guess what? I still remembered. (laughs) Even though I cut it out, I had in my brain what size that garment was. And then I would attach that to my value. Yeah. It's awful. It's awful and poisonous and um, yeah, terrible. And we've had a guest on the show before to talk about uh, Stasia um, Savasic, and she's all about the, you know, ignore the sizes because she'll go out there and buy 10 pairs of pants by the same brand, same style, same size, put them on and they all fit differently. So it's just like a, not a really a true measure of, the sizes are not accurate, even if they're the same brand, same style, same, you know, number and they mean nothing. waistband. They mean no, they nothing. Mean no-, no, they mean nothing. Yeah. They mean nothing. So what really means something is how do you see yourself when you're looking in the mirror? Do you agree with that or how you feel? What well, the beliefs I, are around it? well, great. That is a great question. So I have stopped looking in the mirror in that way. Um, I've stopped. So I do not look in the mirror in an evaluative way. I do not look in the mirror to determine whether I look good or bad or right or wrong or to this or to that. So I'm very uh, utilitarian and practical at this point. I look in the mirror when I need to, Um, you know, if I'm going to be on camera or go out in public or, you know, moisturize my face or whatever. Um, I get dressed and I may take a glance, but I do not. I mean, I used to study my body and pick out things that needed to be fixed. And because I spent a number of years in um, the the culture of cosmetic procedures, mostly on my face, um, but I did start to go up my body a little bit toward the end of my uh, 15 years of engagement in that world. And so I found myself um, back then studying all sorts of things, you know, my upper arms, my, my butt cheeks, like, you know, all the the places where they start to kind of, you know, wiggle. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm also in my early fifties. So, you know, I don't, I don't do that anymore, actually. So I don't look in the mirror for any kind of, um, any kind of evaluation or valuation. I love that. You don't look in the mirror for any sort of evaluation. And that's, and especially the valuation of what your worth is based on your size. And I mean, I remember uh, I used to practice yoga in short shorts because mm-hmm. I would, when, you know, when I was younger, I'd go to some of the classes that were heated. And I remember practicing at home one time and I was in a downward facing dog and I was looking at my thighs uh-huh. and I saw one little dimple. I had never seen a dimple on my thighs before. I know there's people out there that probably hate me for saying that, but it was the first time I had ever seen a sign of cellulite coming onto my thighs and I was super fit. 
And it just, I, I still remember that. I'm like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, like, what am I doing wrong? And that's the time also. And I don't feel as if I had body dysmorphia or that I was really judgmental of my body. But now when I look back, I was also though measuring had my grandmother's sewing um, tape mm-hmm. measure. Yep. And I would take that and I would wrap it around my thighs and I would see as a measure of my progress when at the gym, I measure my waist, my hips, my thighs. And I was just like, wait, now I step back. I had a little notebook that I would look at. Oh, you kept track. Mm-hmm. I kept track and yep. I wouldn't necessarily beat myself up, but I wasn't actually seeing what I was doing either at that time. And I think that's how ingrained some of these these beliefs are in us that, oh, this is just normal. It's no big deal. I'm not doing any harm to myself. Well, exactly. And so one of the things that I stopped doing is applying any kind of metric to my body. So I don't weigh my body anymore. There is no function of that in my life. It, I, it has no purpose. Um, and so I, I don't weigh it. Um, I don't pay any attention to my clothing size. Uh, I, don't, I don't measure it. Um, yeah, I don't do any of that. And I used to do a ton of it, uh, a ton of it. Yeah. Uh, so that in itself sounds extremely freeing. It's wonderful. It is, it is wonderful because, you know, part of what happens here is it's beyond just the, the, um, really rejection of your body, which is truly your partner in this life, like truly becoming one with your body and being friendly to it and supportive to it and compassionate to it and giving it what it what it needs and not trying to control it and make it look a certain way um it really brings you back to your to yourself to perhaps not all of us have this but perhaps there's an early memory that you can access where you didn't have this self-consciousness, this idea that your body had to be a certain way or that your value was directly tied to it. And so I I at least have a glimmer um, of some memories of that time. And I, I wanted that back, damn it. Um, And so I was on a mission to take it. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I just, and hearing you talk, you know, that you said so many things right out of the gate. And there's this idea, like you, you brought forward the article that you read uh, about New York Fashion Week. And, you know, and I had read an article a couple of days ago around how women have the purchasing power. Like women in the United States are responsible for 70, 80%. Yes. Of all the household, not just for, they're not just buying for themselves, but they're buying for their children and their families. And so if we think about the power that we have, if we decide that to take control of that purchasing power and start to put it towards the things that really, that we really, really, truly value as women and take that back, it could be incredible. It could, and then because I'm always fascinated, like who is the one that's making the decisions about what size is the size of the year? Yep. Like who is making that decision and why are we, and why are we following that? Mm -hmm. This invisible voice. 
Mm-hmm. We're conditioned. Yeah. yeah. We're conditioned to believe it's true. And we vote with our dollar and we can reject it. We can reject it and stop uh, feeding it, at least feeding it our money. Um, so we can work on how to um, reject it in a way that it doesn't even really get in there anymore. We see the, we see the falsehood, the, the fraud of it. Yeah. And how much money would that free up for ourselves and our families and also give us that, that power? Because, you know, in this country, especially that really is the driving, you know, driving force of change is who has, who's holding the money, who's holding, unfortunately, but that really is the case in politics and pretty much every aspect of our culture. And so women, if we're 70 to 80, like we are the majority, mm-hmm. we are the majority. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that when we come back. We have, we're already up to our first break of the show. And if you are anywhere or you want to come to this beautiful location in Rangeley, Maine, I'm going to be there for the Her Festival on May 4th through the 8th. Now, this is a wild, inviting mountain forest retreat. And this is where you're going to get restored, replenished, and renewed. It's all for women, run by women. And actually, all but one of these women have been on Women Thriving Unapologetically. So they're incredible. So you get to come and celebrate uh, what it means to be a woman in this wild and beautiful location. So that's May 4th through 8th. And you'll I'll put the link in the show notes if you're watching on or you're watching the replay. But that's www.her-festival.com. And we'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the divine feminine. When you awaken the divine feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, You awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv slash goddess to sign up today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Lindsay. Welcome back to Women Thriving Unapologetically. We're having an incredible conversation with Kirsten Johansson about how our size and our weight are not the problem. 
and how women really have been conditioned to believe that their value is tied to the way that their body looks. And if we take that power back, we unravel those knots and uh, those tightly wound knots and beliefs that we can actually start to regain a lot of our power. And a lot of that power can come through a purchasing power or through having more energy um, to focus on things that are more important in our lives. So uh, welcome back. And Kirsten, let's dive into this. Yes. So we were just chatting a little bit about um, just the opportunity cost, because if we are, if we are worried about our bodies and thinking about our bodies and what's wrong with our bodies, it's hard to do multiple things at the same time. And we have amazing brains and minds and things, but it's hard to do two things at once. And so, you know, that if that's going on in your brain, because it went on in my brain for all those years that I talked about, Um, it, you know, I would be working for instance, and let's say, you know, it's a period of time where my weight was, um, the size of my body was up, um, and all all day long, I mean, I'm working and I'm working in a treatment center and I'm running a treatment center and, you know, uh, doing meaningful work. And all day long, what I heard in my head is you're too fat, you're too fat, you're too fat, you're too fat, constant, constantly aware of how something fit or whether it was pinching or like you talked about before, does this you know, is this fitting like it used to fit? And it just was a, a constant gnawing, not just distraction, but it just tore me uh, down inside. And that is, you know, part of the anesthesia of food. Um, and so for me, I, you know, I had a relatively, I'm going to say relatively um, harmonious relationship with food for the first 10-ish years of my life. I was pretty compelled by sugar though. Um, so, you know, if I had access to sugar that was unregulated, like um, m- my mom and I, when we would go shopping, uh, my dad would say, well, don't forget to bring me a surprise, which really meant go to the, the candy counter, which I think at the time was at Sears. Uh, it still was the old timey Sears. And I had a candy counter with the red and white striped uh, bags and he loved peanut clusters. And so we would go shopping and then we would always go to the candy counter and get my dad his peanut clusters and I would get my malt balls. Um, and so we would come home and my mom would always say the same thing to me. She'd say, okay, don't make yourself sick. To which I would then go off to my room and proceed to make myself sick. Um, which was the only way that I knew to stop eating the sugar. So, so relatively uh, friendly relationship with food, but sugar was quite compelling. And then um, we moved to a new house, a bigger house. Um, and I started to walk home from school by myself. And so that was roughly fourth grade-ish, I want to say. And I was a little bit young for my, I was like a year younger than everybody else. So it was a little bit younger than my grade would suggest and I just found that I, I came home to being scared and lonely. And of course, I did not disclose that. Um, you know, I was a little soldier. So I just soldiered through and didn't show any real vulnerability. And I began to eat. And I, oh boy, did I eat. And I managed to take food from a variety of different places um, so that you couldn't really tell. Like there wasn't a massive dent in the ding-dongs. <laughs> Because <laughs> I would take a ding dong and a Twinkie and a Susie Q uh, and a cupcake and some Fritos and some potato chips. So, I mean, I started to binge um, to manage my fear and my loneliness. So, my relationship with food became anesthesia um, at around 10. 
Wow. And so where did the, did you know where the fear was coming from? Was it just the fear of being alone? Great question. Um, I would say no, except to say there was a presence in that house and I never mentioned it to anyone. And only in the last, I think, couple of years, I mentioned it to my brother and he said, oh, I know. I felt it the whole time. I felt it. And I felt it when we went and looked at the house before we bought it. I just got goosebumps. Mm. Yeah. He and I never spoke about that ever. Um, So that was like, kind of like, wow, eye-opening to me that he also felt something. And so, because that was also the first time that I was really by myself, um, you know, as a kid, because you're, you're, you're young. And so you're just not, I mean, I was, I played my room by myself, but in terms of being in a house by myself. This was the first time for that. It was also a, a new house, a larger house and a house that there was a, what felt like a malevolent presence, not a, not a friendly presence. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sort of hunkered down in front of the TV, which also throughout my life has been a form of anesthesia um, and literally wore a groove in the carpet where my body sat and laid where I just turned on the TV and, and ate and watched TV and ate until just prior to everyone else coming home, at which point I would hide the evidence of anything that I had been doing and go up to my room and act as if everything was fine. And then I would be called down to dinner after I had just, I had put so much food in my body that I was about to burst, but I couldn't, I couldn't disclose that in any way. So then I would go downstairs and dutifully uh, eat my dinner and clean my plate. Um, So in terms of developing uh, basically a a separation uh, between what my body really would have wanted or needed or would have felt nourishing or supportive to it, it really just became about uh, killing the suffering. Wow. And I'm just thinking about that, that little girl that is just so scared and she doesn't have the tools to, doesn't know, like you're sensing something, but you know, your cognitive ability isn't quite developed yet. You know, can't put words to it. And you say, you're doing the best that you can, like your solution was to anesthetize yourself and just to Mm -hmm. be, to stay in that little spot and which probably felt safe to you just to have the food there, the TV there, your well-worn groove. Yep. Um, and the so bubble. And the bubble. So every time you came there, if, especially if nothing happened in that moment, that was your place to keep going, your place of safety. And I can imagine how the, those habits just created that sense of safety later on in your life. That, and it was so shameful. So at the same time that you're reaching for this form of anesthesia, you're also, I was also just really ashamed of what I was doing. I mean, I, you know, it's something when you're doing something that you would never want anybody else to see, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. I later in life would ask myself, well, hmm, what's going on with this behavior if if I don't want anybody else to see it and if it's really rooted in, in shame? So yes, comforting, anesthetic, and shameful, which, you know, I talk a lot about anesthesia behaviors because they usually cause additional suffering. 
So we use them to address one thing and then they end up causing other things, which um, is why the size of your body is not the problem. It's first of all, not a problem at all. That's A. Um, but it's it's an effect. It's not a cause. Sure, maybe, you know, if you're if you are too too maybe far underweight, there there can be issues with that. I mean, like immune system issues and so forth. If your body is carrying quite a bit of additional weight, there can absolutely be issues that are created as a result of that, but those issues are not cause, they're effect. The size of your body is not cause, it's effect. Your eating behavior even is not really the problem. It is causing you probably shame, and it also might be causing you issues with your body that are uncomfortable, but it is an anesthesia behavior. It is not the cause. There is something underneath of it that is creating suffering that is then compelling you to want to soothe that suffering, of course. Of course. Yeah. And I think about that because for myself, there's times that I feel such amount of stress and growing my business and doing all the things that there are sometimes when my partner leaves the house, I'm like, oh, thank God. So I love her dearly. But I, in that moment, I don't, and she's listening to this, so I'm gonna, she's going to be knowing what I'm doing now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a big reveal. Uh-huh. Um, that was, but you know, sometimes I just, it, it just gets to be too much. And I've had this behavior my whole life is when it becomes too much, I do anesthetize myself. I sit on the couch, I put the TV on and I just start eating crap food. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm just, and it's just because I can't handle the level. I'm, well, I won't say I can't handle the level of stress. I'm not sure how to handle that level of stress in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I just need to put myself in that bubble because it just feels like too much. And then Mm -hmm. what do I feel like when I'm done doing that? Like, Oh, like let's hurry up and pack everything. Like hide the evidence before she gets home and the same, similar to what you're saying. And then the shame. And then, and it's not like I'm not doing major binging. Like I used to do when I was younger, because I'm aware that it was, I could do that and not see the effects on my body. Now I can Mm -hmm. really feel it. And there is that level of shame, like why, but also a sense of relief yes. in that moment. So this, well, all, yeah. these, all these parts are coming in and it's really confusing. And like, uh, mm-hmm. you feel like you have all of these different aspects talking at once in your head. Yes. And when you say crap food, I don't know what that is for you, but I want to, I do want to mention that although food is not usually, it's really not the problem. It, it is possible that you are putting food in that's not for you. Um, so for me, um, food that creates craving, um, I don't put in anymore because no matter how much self-love I have and no matter how much work I've done um, and how much, how self-accepting I am, if I put something in that has a chemical reaction in my body that creates craving, that there's nothing that is any match for that. There's no match for that. So I don't put that stuff in at all. That is what I choose um, because I, I want to do what is for me. I don't, I don't profess to know what is right for anyone else, but I don't put sugar in. Um, and I haven't since 2005. 
And so um, that's 18 years. I have not put sugar in my body. I have not put grain in any form in my body. Now, I also have alcoholism, which I developed early in my life. Um, And what alcohol is made of is typically grain and sugar. And so when I started to drink early in life, I, I fell headfirst into alcoholism very quickly. So I've been shown, and then of course I was in the food until I was 35, until I found a recovery program. In the last 10 years of that, from 25 to 35, I was bulimic. So I spent those 10 years with my head uh, in the toilet, um, probably every, every day, I would say. Um, and so, um, yeah, I am, I'm very careful about the chemical reactions of my body to food. And so now if I put something in and I have a reaction to it, my, my gut reacts or something in my body happens, I'm, I'm very attuned to that. And because I, I do accept myself and love myself and I accept my body and know how important it is to my life, I don't want to do that to it. So in terms of like where I have found the most solace, it has been in unconditional, unconditional self-acceptance, which means of my body as well. Mm. And I have to say that I'm definitely not to that level of unconditional self-acceptance. And it's something I'm working with. I'm not even sure if I like the word working with, because that just feels, you know, like Mm -hmm. more work. Um, (laughs) And, but it's something that I'm developing more and more awareness around um, because there is this sense of longing for freedom and to be in this, this really, and I've had moments of that where I just feel like, oh, like I, I feel so much love for myself, but it tends to be bleeding as the stress becomes greater. And, and, Mm -hmm. and so my stress response is the food. And when I say a a crap food, it's like, yeah, sometimes there's sugar or things like that, but it's just overeating in general. Like I I don't, I don't, I have a difficulty reining it in. Yes. And yes, so I had that my whole life almost. Yeah. yeah. And it's just mm-hmm. like, so it could be like, I could have a huge salad, but I put so much stuff on there and I'll eat it all. And then I'll go back mm-hmm. for something else mm-hmm. and then something else. And then, and then I feel so overfull and maybe, and I've been working with this for myself. Maybe it's because I don't feel so, I don't feel full in the other areas in my life. And I'm trying to compensate for it in that moment, just so one, I can anesthetize the stress, but also feel some sense of fullness the way that mm-hmm. my body understands it, even if I'm not, and it doesn't replace the fullness that I'm seeking at a deeper level. Does that make sense? It does. Um, it does. And I don't know if this is the case for you, but for me, it was also um, a bit of a punishment because I didn't accept myself and I was very perfectionistic and very critical and very hard on myself on the inside and so um, sometimes I would kind of punish myself in a way that would bring the discomfort and the pain and the suffering to a place where I could sort of get my mind and my hands around it. And so if I'd overeaten, if I just really pushed my body to the limit with the food, 
it sort of takes the whatever the source, the original source of suffering was, and it sort of um, it's a distraction, right? Because it sends it over to now I'm thinking about what I ate and I'm thinking about how uncomfortable I am. And I'm thinking about why do I do this? And I feel shame. And so we've we've missed the opportunity to wonder what is what is making my stress go up right now? What is causing me to suffer? What inside of me needs compassion? We sort of miss that opportunity because we go directly to the anesthesia. Yeah. And I can so relate to the feeling of punishment. And sometimes I'm not fully aware of it. Uh, Oftentimes the punishment comes after that because then I've, you know, then I don't feel so good about exactly. It. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yep. We're up to our second break of the show. So definitely stay tuned. We're talking with Kirsten Johansson. And during the break, if go to the Her Festival, which is www.her-festival.com and check it out because it's an amazing festival led by six incredible women, five of which have been on Women Thriving Unapologetically show. And they're going to be leading us because I'm going to be there too, through incredible practices and just really uniting um, in sacred circle, just all women diving in and really getting nourished and fed at a deep level, which I believe we all need. And that's why I'm going. So we'll be right back after this short break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Women, are you tired of chasing after your dreams? Exhausted and overwhelmed from trying so hard to have the perfect life? Do you yearn for more ease, freedom, and time to explore what is near and dear to your heart, yet have no idea how to stop pushing forward? Join your host, Lindsay McCowan, and others like you on a journey to awaken the divine feminine. When you awaken the divine feminine, you awaken parts of yourself that have been ignored, lay dormant, put on the back burners, or forgotten. When you fully ignite these aspects of yourself, You awaken your ability to thrive in all areas of your life, including relationships, finances, health, career, and purpose. You stop chasing after life and step into an easeful magnetic flow. You become the magnet that effortlessly attracts joy, love, space to play, abundance, and magic that illuminates your life. Does that sound like the future you? Go to lindsay.tv slash goddess to sign up today. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Women Thriving Unapologetically with Lindsay McCowan. Have a question for Lindsay or her guests? Want to share your story? Email Lindsay at thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. That's thrivingunapologetically at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Here again is Lindsay. Welcome back to Women Thriving Unapologetically. And during the break, Kirsten and I were talking about, well, she was sharing with me because she's living in Malta now. Like, I, ho- I wish we would have had time to talk about this amazing journey that you've taken to courageously step into your heart's uh, guidance and move to Malta. And you're practicing some of your Turkish and you came across this phrase that translates to... Um, drinking and eating to forget and how this really just translates across all genders, all cultures, and 
how all of us have done this at some point in our lives and that you have experienced the extreme of that. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the reality of that and how your experiences being on both ends of the spectrum of being extremely thin and, um, and overweight. So, yes. Yes. So just to give everybody, um, an idea of the, the Delta, uh, between the low and the high, it was about 85 pounds. Um, so, you know, um, in my food recovery program, there was a phrase that people would use where they would say, I come from big numbers or I don't come from big numbers, which usually meant two, three, four hundred pounds. Um, and so while I don't quote come from big numbers, um, I've experienced the world as a woman who, you know, kind of meets the, the ideal in some way. And then I've experienced the world as a woman who does not. And I was treated uh, badly, really badly um, when I did not meet the standard. So I want to say that clearly, because that is a reality that, that um, we are discriminated against based upon the size of our bodies. That is the truth about the current world that we live in or the society that we live in, um, particularly in the U.S. And I was mistreated not only by my husband, who said things to me like, you're not the woman I married. Um, I'm no longer attracted to you. You're fat and you're unattractive. Um, so, uh, you know, I was married to somebody who literally removed his love from me um, when I gained weight and said um, years, there was years of cruelty um, around that. So um, that was life-changing to have somebody who I thought would, you know, was supposed to love the actual me um, not do that. It wasn't about me, but um, that doesn't mean that it didn't devastate me because at the time I thought it was about me. And I was treated horribly by strangers. Um, like I, I would be out jogging, you know, trying to, <laughs> which I hated, by the way. Um, I did all sorts of things that I hated to try to control my body. But I remember being out jogging and uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm more of a, a long distance person. I'm not a sprinter. I'm not very fast, uh, which is fine by me, but I'm, I'm poking along and these guys are out playing golf. Um, and so there, I think there were three of them and they were off in the distance, like out on the golf course and I'm jogging along the path. And he literally, one of them, they stop what they're doing and he takes it upon himself to yell at me across the golf course and out onto the street that I need to run faster. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I didn't do my second lap that day. I I'm sure I probably went home and ate. Um, so yeah, the reality is that you will be treated a certain way. You will be treated like you have value. Um, if you are a certain type of thin or whatever the current standard is, and then you will be treated either like you're invisible, um, or that you're, that you're a violation. Like I, I remember feeling like this idea and also it was conveyed to me pretty clearly, like, you know, what a shame, because if you just weren't so fat, um, you know, then you would, then you would be an attractive woman. Um, and you know, what I want to say about that is we can reject that. We can reject that it is bullshit made up untruth, patriarchy, crap. 
And in order for real change to occur, not just around us and 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 for the way we treat we are treated to change, we really do have to work toward true self-acceptance because that is what allows you to reject these messages and standards that really have no meaning unless we believe them. They have no meaning unless we adhere meaning to them. Yeah. Correct. And we can, and we can reject that. I lo- and that's absolutely true. And that's why I so wanted to have you on the show to reinforce this for women and to share with them how, some of the steps, because there's so many different uh, modalities out there. And I've tried a lot of different things on my healing journey and it's never one thing, but it can right. be one thing that leads to another thing. So yes. I'd love to hear what are the things that you brought in to help you find that Mm self-acceptance? Well, you know, I think, I think the first, the first thing was truly the, the self-acceptance work. And one of the things I want to say about, um, you know, bodies and size of bodies and food as someone who tried so many different things um, to address my food as a way to then control the size of my body, I've found it incredibly important to uncouple, to divorce those two things. Because in order to truly mindfully eat, which I used to not think was possible, I am here to tell you it is actually possible. In order to truly mindfully eat and nourish your body and stop at a point of satiation, and not you know push through that to that point of sort of overfulness you do need to have a certain at least the beginnings of a practice of unconditional positive regard for yourself and your body um so that that's been an incredibly incredibly important to uncouple i know it's hard it's super super hard to uncouple your food and the way that you nourish yourself from the appearance of your body. Yeah. And I'm thinking of so many different situations that I've been in, you know, I'll go to a party and okay, I don't know anyone. I feel uncomfortable. So then what do I do? I either, um, back in the day, I would, you know, either grab a drink or Mm -hmm. I would just hang out by the food table because that gave me something to do. And I was having difficulty uncoupling, you know, my discomfort from the food. And I still have difficulty with that. And, you know, I practice self-compassion, which is, I feel like is a little bit different than unconditional self-regard. Acceptance or Mm self-regard. Yeah. Can you speak to like, what is like, what is the difference between the two? And then how, Mm -hmm. like, how do you create this unconditional acceptance? Yes. Yes. Well, so what I find the difference to be is that I am not, I'm not trying to oppose these negative voices with a positive voice. Like I'm not in the fight anymore. I, I really undertook the work in a way that I I wanted out. I wanted out of this cycle. And so it is a new, it is a neutral, it's a neutral position more, more so. So it's not this, I'm the most awesome. 
I'm the most pretty, I'm the most smart. It's not, it's truly not that. Cause that that's sort of the other end of the self-hating continuum. Um, instead, I simply accept myself exactly as I am in the moment without putting any um, conditions on it. It's not, well, you'll be acceptable when, or if, or if you get to that size, or if you look, I just cleared all of that away because I realized it's lies. It's lies. It's lies. Mm. So that was incredibly important. And then the other piece of it is when I began to be able to truly mindfully eat, um, and I let go of my dysmorphia for the most part, that was another journey. And I transitioned out of my food recovery program, which is a whole other story. It was wonderful and super helpful. And then it became not for me anymore um, because I had done the self-love work. And so the structure of my food recovery program actually no longer worked for me. I needed a more natural um, focus where I was centered. I was truly centered and my body was truly centered. And I really just asked myself a couple of questions. Am I hungry? Am I hungry? If I'm not physically hungry, even if I'm feeling a little bit of a pull um, to put something in, I just move on to another thing. I just, I just ignore it because I'm like, oh, I'm not hungry. Um, and then if the answer is uh, yes, I am hungry um, because I don't put, I really do care about myself. And so I don't struggle with whether to choose something nutritious or not nutritious. I, most of my food is nutritious. Um, I just think, well, what have I eaten today? And you know, how much fruit and how much protein and how much veg and how much fat and what, what could my body use to support it? And then I choose that and everything I choose is delicious to me. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. how you're like, you're just checking in. It's, it's constantly checking in and honoring your body. Like, am I hungry? And, and what am I hungry for? Yes. What am I really hungry for? Yep. And then and being aware of what the body might need nutritionally so that it can be truly fed and nourished. So I can't believe we're at the end of the show. We only have I a know, moment. I know. I know. You're, and just you're real, quick, real quick, real quick. So when you feel that, that weird tension, that pull, that inexplicable, I don't know what it is, but it, I can't stand it. And I want to make it go away. That is your opportunity. That is your opportunity to have a conversation with yourself about what might be going on with you. And even if you go ahead and eat, that is okay. That is okay. Because if you pause and you ask yourself that question, that in and itself is going to help you to develop a practice where you, you listen to yourself and you honor yourself. Mm. And then you take that power back. You have your power of choice in that moment, which I love. And so we had ladies, we have the power of choice to choose what we're buying into, what we're using our purchasing power for. We have the power to really check in with our bodies and honor it. And it might not feel easy, but the process is so worthwhile because you will find that freedom. And so if you want to find some freedom from this, definitely reach out to Kirsten. Her online home is www.giraffetangooctopus.com. Dot com, which is a great name. It's easy to remember giraffe tango octopus.com and definitely reach out to her because she is an incredible force to help you move through these challenges. And not just because of what she has um, written on, you know, all this certifications and all that she has, but from her direct knowledge, from her experience in her life. And so she's a powerful woman. Is there any one last word or bit that you would want to share? 
when we have 15 seconds left. Just that you can exit that voice. You can exit it. You can. You can be free of it. You, you can it's, exit it's possible. Yeah. yeah. You can exit it. Ladies, you can exit that voice. It is possible. So thank you so much for listening. You've been here with us on Women Thriving Unapologetically. And we'll be here next week. And I'll be doing a solo show again. So I'm a little nervous Woo. about that one on the steps to thriving. So thank you so much. Many blessings and much love to each and every one of you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving Unapologetically. We hope we've inspired you to claim your birthright to thrive. Tune in next week where we will continue to give you the tools you need to flourish, prosper, and thrive. Until then, have a beautiful week.